America, Washington, D.C., signing on. Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org. I, of course, am Nancy Scout, the best-selling author of The Gorilla's Guide to the Baofeng Radio, The Gorilla's Guide to Signals Intelligence, both of which are number one bestsellers on Amazon in their respective categories, as well as the Gorilla Dispatch Series Volumes 1 and 2, and I am uh, burning the midnight oil working on volume three to be able to get that out, hopefully by late spring. Anyway, today I am joined by a wonderful friend of mine, an absolute consummate professional, a brother in Christ, a warrior in the absolute truest sense of the word, K of Combat Studies Group. How are you doing, brother? Good to be on with you, man. Always. Yeah. Always. We got just the the uh the world seems to be rapidly spinning into a uh not pleasant direction. We've got the the whole um uh situation with Texas and the border, the Republican governors who are revolting against that. Um, and now seemingly Biden kind of found his big boy pants all of a sudden and uh, is, is doing some serious saber rattling with Iran. Uh, make sense of all this, your take on this as a former member of uh, our intelligence community in a trigger puller capacity, the special operations community as a, as a guy who's extremely knowledgeable on the world, you know, how, how are you breaking all this down? Oh boy, you asked for it. Um, it, it you know, it, what's funny is that, uh, you know, we go back one year, two year, three years. And I think for a lot of us, this, this is not surprising. Um, Iran specifically has been on their table for years. I mean, and you know, that's, that's not a big reveal to anyone, I don't think, but, um, I think what's kind of keeping them in check or has kept them in check is their geopolitical relationship with Russia. And, you know, I, th I think there's at least a couple adults in the room in the you know in the beltway apparatus and uh they're kind of keeping the brakes on pushing too far too fast um 
and we have this weird situation where we have the Iran situation, the Red Sea situation, the Israel situation interweaving into the Texas situation. Um, and so we, we kind of have this confluence of all these events as if they're all related. Uh, imagine that. So what's funny is uh, we had... You know, and the guy's name escapes me. But the diplomat for Russia at the UN uh, the other day declared that Lavrov. No, it wasn't Lavrov. Um, it'll it'll come to me. Um, anyways, the <clears throat> the delegate from Russia stated that they would be offering heavy weapons to Texas should. Uh, oh, Zakharova. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, Zakharova. Should it come to that? And of course, they they use the pretty much exact vernacular that we used when we told Russia we would be arming Ukraine, stating that we're not we're not involved in this. This is not you know don't don't blame us. We're just you know giving them some guns. So it, it was kind of a I think it was more of a middle finger to us than a than an actual offer of support for texas but you know who knows um i did find it interesting and a little bit funny um the the, the whole texas thing is is kind of got me tearing my hair out and for different reasons than than i think most people are and primarily it's kabuki theater it's you know there's this huge focus on this particular small tract Eagle Pass and who can be there and who can't be there and who's got the fence up and who doesn't. And, you know, meanwhile, many, many independent journalists have pointed out, go a kilometer down the road and it, the border's wide open and there's nobody there. Nobody's doing anything. And it's, it just reminds me of, you know, uh, you know, the, the gay puppet leader of, of Ukraine standing in front of a green screen, pretending to be in the rubble of, you know, some kind of ongoing battle. It's just fake. There's so much fakery going on. So, you know, and add to that Greg Abbott being a WEF alumni and, uh, you know, you, you look at his past actions and I find them less than, than altruistic. So, again, I, I, I have to say there's a lot of diversion going on with this. Um, I don't know. And you know, as far as what's going to go on with Iran, again, I, I think they're going to. I'm inclined to think they're going to keep it holstered to a degree, again, because of Russia. Russia has a big stick. Um, now, I will say, you know, just watching various movements of logistics and aircraft and whatnot around the world. Um, Monkey Works has been doing a good job of covering some of that stuff. Um, we are staging a lot of people, a lot of equipment, a lot of air refuelers um, over in Eastern Europe. So, you know, they, they expect something. Um, it's it's hard to play the crystal ball game, you know. Believe me, I know.
It, it's <laughs> well, and, and and the thing is, is that there are so many things that could kick off kind of unforeseen um we're you know able archer for example for for some of the older folks who, who are in the audience that um were you know doing things in during the, the 80s um for for the government they'll remember able archer where you know that that it, it was essentially a snap drill for natives a snap readiness exercise that the soviets thought was real um they they oh this this is real and and there's a lot of uh experts out there that claim that that was the closest that we ever came to an all-out war during the cold war aside from the cuban missile crisis um and and so you you pointing out how Texas kind of is is in the in the mix here geopolitically. I think it has a lot of significance to it that people aren't really picking up on. And this isn't to say you know because the left very quickly jumped out there and said, "Oh look, see all the MAGA people want Russia to help Texas." It's like. No, I don't really don't think anybody's saying that. That's just Russia, uh, you know, basically poking us in the chest and saying, you know, we can play this game too. We're going to. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're absolutely anticipating it. What's more significant, though, is the moves, long-term moves that have been made in Cuba. The long-term moves have been made in Nicaragua for stability. When you look at Venezuela, you know, both the Chinese – and the Russians wield a huge amount of influence there. Uh, so when you, you you look at the totality of the circumstances of Europe, we look at the motions in Iran. Um, you know this this is a number of things that could go wrong very quickly based on a miscalculation. Um, it, it's 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 serious stuff. And, and th this is one of those dangers that I, I really don't think a lot of people completely grasp, uh, especially in our community, because we look at things in as singular events by and large. I mean, you and I don't, but a lot of other people, a lot of conservatives on the right do. And, yeah. um, you know, part of that's conditioning, I think. But, uh, you know, an another part of it is, is just kind of we don't really have the attention span and the the emotional ability to to latch on to more than one thing at a time. Uh, so, but I do think there's there's definitely a wag the dog element going on. Uh, but the fact that that they are moving things and they're moving them in a significant quantity, even though we're you know we're we're kind of in bad shape militarily, we're we're in the midst of a, a severe recruiting crisis. Um, you know, and, and our supply line has been completely wrecked on part of Ukraine. And we're not going to get those munitions back anytime soon. Like that's, you know, we're not just going to be, you know, ready, ready to rearm anytime soon. Uh, so it's, it, all of this is, is significant. Now I want to break down the, the actual attack that kind of kicked off this saber rattling. You know, we know that there are, uh, Three soldiers, unfortunately, were the casualties. They were reservists, it is my understanding. Um, 
out of Fort Benning or whatever they're calling Fort Benning these days. But uh, that, that was the report that I read. Um, you know, for folks that don't know out there, Army Reserve is, is uh, combat support, combat service support, meaning that, you know, you don't have uh, combat arms in, in the Army Reserve. So, um, you know, these, these troops are probably maintainers of some type or another. And um, there's a lot of interesting things that are coming out about this. Um, you know, th there's some conflicting reports back and forth. But one thing that, that you know, I, I did take from this, trying to sift through the, the wheat from the chaff, is, and this story came from the New York Times, was that the Lancet drone, that hit and and that's the one in question these are loiter munitions right um i've talked about loiter munitions and on, on past podcasts and and how they utilize them how they uh their targeting capability and a lot of that is built around signals intelligence and signals recognition uh but not only that what it's looking like at least according to the new york times is that the the drone operators themselves and the SIGINT personnel, signals intelligence personnel, who were monitoring the air, weren't aware that they or they they mistaked rather the Lancet drone's signature, its electronic signature, for one of ours, and this this goes all the way back to Obama when our drone was landed in iran they didn't just reverse engineer the technology that the, the actual uh, aeronautical construction of the drone and guidance system and all of that they reverse engineered its signature which is something that i think is is even more dangerous unfortunately as as we found out the hard way uh right. what do you think about that well, I think you make a good point. This this goes back to a lot of the damage done under Obama. Um, you know, his his various dismantling of of the nation uh, and our defense capability. Um, and and I recall when that happened, we for a time I worked near the launch site of that particular drone. We called it the Beast of Kandahar. Um, and it was kind of surprising when that occurred. You know, we really didn't see it coming at our level. <clears throat> and uh, it, it it seems to me like the, you know, the people I talk to, the, the public at large, don't, they don't have an appreciation for Iran's capability, um, despite all the mountains of evidence of their capabilities. Uh, for example, Russia and other countries buying their drones. Um, their drones are sophisticated. They're turnkey. They can produce them rapidly. Um, and they can produce them at a very enticing price point compared to what, you know, what we're, what we're doing. And, you know, I think uh, someone pointed out a few days ago that it was making no sense for us to spend you know, multi-millions of dollars per shot to shoot down a $20,000 drone. You know, they're, they're, yeah. it's, it's a game we're going to lose. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's like, numbers, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just run the math on it. And, uh, 
you know, and then we, of course, immediately saw most of our NATO allies backpedal right out of the, the pending operation in the Red Sea, which has kind of fallen on its face. And, you know, I, I think Iran will continue to utilize its proxies because it's been an effective strategy. And, you know, they don't really care about the Houthis. Um, they are what they are, and they're useful for the time being. Um, you know, it, it's kind of hard to to discern what the Biden administration's move is going to be on this just because there's so much there's so much buffoonery that comes out of that administration. It's, it's just hard to guess. Um, their angle of course is just the election cycle. So whatever is going to make him look better, um, or whatever candidate they're going to make the switch to, which wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and that, that's a rabbit hole. I don't even want to go down, but, um, <laughs> yeah, geez. We get we get American Psycho in there, Gavin Newsom. Oh man, you know. can, can you imagine? I can. Yeah, you know it's, I can. it's it's like it can always get worse. People think it can't get worse. Oh no, it can always get worse. Um, yeah, I I mean, like you, I'm just I'm watching this every day and watching it unfold and trying to you know read the tea leaves as it were, um, and follow the trails. But I think we are going to see something very significant this year um, just because, you know, we've, we've just got a, a critical mass of high priority items, especially, you know, from the globalist point of view. Um, they really, really don't want Trump back in office. And this is not, you know, a big endorsement of Trump or anything. I, Trump is Trump is what he is. You know, I don't I don't see him as a savior uh, any more than any other politician. Um, and as many others have said, the appeal with Trump is the fact that they are so scared of him, that they hate him so much. Um, so, you know, again, it is what it is. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, the Davos crowd explicitly named him. You know, they, they explicitly named him in one of their meetings that yeah. was privy to the public. So imagine what they're saying behind the scenes. I mean, this is Spectre. You know, the this this is literally Spectre. The, the, you know, you, you go back and you watch the movie and, and you know, they're all the, the Bond movies. They're all sitting around, you know, like... The, You've got Blofeld right there, you know, stroking his cat and everything. Like right. that's that's totally what these characters are, and they feel comfortable enough that they've achieved their objectives that they're out in public about it. You know, where where in you know a decade ago they they were doing all this stuff in secret. You know, and when people like Alex Jones were pointing this out, oh, you know, that's that's conspiracy theory. You know, he's crazy. No, no, no. I mean, it, it, and, and it's not a conspiracy. These are the, the these are the people who control the wealth of the world. You know, they they want to set the policy, and their policy is very blatantly, they don't want us. You know, we that's 
Yeah, it, it's, short of it, man. it's been kind of interesting to watch this unfold over, you know, the last couple decades. And like you said, go from the, the, the time of denial where you're a tinfoil hat lunatic for bringing up what is what is out in the open right now. And so they've they have moved into this this area of, you know, they're not trying to hide it. You know, you've got Klaus Schwab up there, you know, throwing out things like we're going to eat bugs and like it and own nothing and like it and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there's no torches, there's no pitchforks. Best we can hope for are, you know, yellow vest riots, uh, taxi protests, trucker protests. And most of these, if not all of them, are essentially, you know, instigated, controlled, and managed by the other side, um, largely for the purposes of singling out the ringleaders, the chief troublemakers, and arresting them, detaining them, and taking them off the board. You know, that's all J6 was. We saw this plan, you know, it was right in our face. And they're continuing to roll people up from that. And there's fears that, you know, these various protests and people moving down to the Texas border area uh, to quote unquote lend support, it's going to be another J6 type event um, where people are going to be doxxed effectively by, you know, fill in the blank agency uh, and singled out for some kind of punitive action or, and, you know, it's been done. This is, this is something they do now. It's again, it's out in the open. This isn't a secret thing. They are, they are waging war in this, in this fashion. Um, you know, and I, my point of view is everybody has to kind of figure out where they fit into the grand scheme of things, where they fit into the fight, if I can call it that. Um, some people, yeah, just standing out there with the sign saying, you know, down with the new world order or whatever, that's going to be the extent of what they can do. And right. Yeah. We do need those people. We do need them out there in the public view, voicing their dissent. Um, or, you know, you may have a different calling. Your calling could be more on the intelligence side, more on the information gathering side, the disseminating of information, um, kind of like what you and I do, um, and, and many, many others. That's crucial. Um, whether it's kinetic training or non-kinetic training or, you know, working in the political sphere, but I, I I really don't see any political solutions going forward. I think that's that's pretty much no. been taken away. Um, you know, and I hate to say that I don't I don't mean that as a black pill or anything. It just you know, that's <laughs> I go where the where the data takes me, and that's where the data has taken me. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, at at the national level, I've been telling people this. It's it's. You know, you're you're essentially working with with controlled players at that point. I mean, the the uh, the the political elections that people need to be very much engaged in are at the local most level, because you do have a, a level of control over that. You yeah. know, the your your local politicians 
There's nobody they can tell me with a straight face that you can't go to your school board meeting, your county commissioner meeting, whatever it is, right, and make a difference there because we know absolutely it is. I mean, Merrick Garland admitted that by by literally taking the FBI and putting them on parents who were going to school board meetings in Virginia. I mean, that if, if that's not an admission that you can make a difference there, I mean, and it did. You know, it absolutely did. Because adversary will always tell you who they fear 100% of the time. They're all in, I mean, you know, you know this, I know this. They'll, right. they'll tell you what they fear. They'll tell you who they fear. And it was Afghanistan. Taliban said, well, we won't negotiate with the, with the, the uh, NATO forces unless you take night raids off the table. Well, why is that? Because they work, right? They, you know, right. that was what they were most afraid of was that they were getting rolled up in the middle of the night. You know, yeah. they, they didn't stand a chance. Yeah. It, and, and so an adversary is always going to tell you what they fear and, yeah. and, and local elections. That's what they fear because for, for a lot of time, we, you know, we conservatives, when I say we conservatives went to sleep when it came to elections, we went, you know, we, we, we just focused on national level politics and that was it. And so literal Marxists got involved and that was how local conditions became what they became. And that's how they, they were able to, to insulate themselves and in, inside of the bureaucracy of, of these different organizations, right? Levels of administration as well going along with that. that that's exactly what they've done. And, um, they fear that because there's a giant backlash that's happening because there are a lot of people that are getting involved in local politics. And it's beginning with these school boards. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's that final breaking point of, no, you're not going to show pornography to the most vulnerable among us. You're not going to do that. Okay. We're, you know, that's, that's the line right there. Enough is enough. We've had it. And, and, and it's, it's really caused the mask to come off of all these things, you know? And, and so I agree a, a thousand percent. I mean, there, there absolutely has to be the visibility of mass dissatisfaction. Um, but people need to understand as, as a, the point that it's kind of been missed among a lot is, is that that's not the end of things. That's, that's not an end state, you, you know, right. Uh, the 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 lobby day crowd, you know, and and, and I, mean, I laugh a little bit because you know that always ruffles some feathers when I point that out. But I'm very familiar with Virginia politics. Um, the the lobby day thing, they thought that they went out there and, and conquered the world, and it's like, no, uh, you know, was was it a good showing in in some respects? Sure, but that's not. Um, you didn't long-term objectives. You didn't achieve anything um, long-term. Like it's, you did not, you did not get rid of the threat. It's still there. It's still very much there. And, and they're going to just like what they've done in every legislative session in Virginia, they've chipped away a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Right. And they're going to continue to do that. Um, you, you, you know, and, and so it doesn't begin and end with, with the street protests. You have to have, direct action you have to have the intelligence collection 
you have to have all of these things that, that are yeah. going into that. And so I think that that's, that's a really good segue into talking about courses that you've got coming up both out West and here in North Carolina. And I'm grinning from ear to ear because I'm really excited, man. It, you know, it's like you get to get out here and it's, it's just, it, it, it is, it is a damn good time. Um, and, uh, and, and really, I think some of the best training opportunities available to anyone out there, civilians, military, whoever, I think that the, the, the training that you offer, the courses that you offer, and I told people this, I tell them this in every class, but I told them that the last RTO course that I had here in January, the, the six-day course, I told them that, that ground rod one and two is more important than the RTO courses because it, it is in, in, in my opinion that I think what you're covering in ground rod one and two is probably the most important course someone can take as a, I think that you, you nailed it on the name too, that, you know, very first, like, okay, you're going to do all the things you want to do all these other things. This is what you need to focus on first. I think it's the most important course, especially a starting point in training that people need. Yeah, and and I appreciate that. Um, I I wouldn't say it's more important than RTO. I I would frame it this way: it's now, whereas a lot of RTO is coming, simply by virtue of you know how how much of your day do you spend doing you know, your various tasks with the VHF radio, UHF radio and HF rig. Um, yeah. Are you actually employing those quote unquote battlefield skills right now? And the answer is no, you know, unless, unless at this point we're doing that professionally as a soldier or something um, outside of the realm of practice or training. Um, that's not to say it isn't important and it, will not become very, very important. Um, and, you know, you don't need a slide ruler to see see what I mean by that. Um, it's just that the ground rut stuff is right now. We're both sitting on computers right now, having a conversation that's transiting the web, going through multiple nodes with IP addresses that link us together and et cetera, et cetera. So there's all these humongous vulnerabilities that are purposely built into this system you know the broader the broader web that we use for so many things now uh whether it's built into our phones or our computers or we use it with work or with pleasure or whatever um it they've essentially weaponized the entire web and uh it's you know and they're not done it's it's going to get more invasive and more invasive you're going to see more you know, more push. <laughs> There's a reason for this AI Taylor Swift nonsense that we're hearing about now. Because everyone's scratching their head going, uh, excuse me, why is this important? It's important because they want the public to get behind it. They want the public to, to, to clutch their pearls and go, oh, wow, the possibilities, all the horrible things they could do with this if only there was a solution and the solution that's going to be offered to you is going to be a digital ID. They want to take away anonymity online. 
okay? And it should be very obvious why they want that, okay? Because if they can tell who's doing what at all times online, they can single you out for punitive action. They can turn you off. They can take you off the board. It's just that simple. And so we, we need to have some clarity about what, what they're doing with this stuff. But, you know, and that is a little bit long-winded, but that's kind of my aim with Ground Rod is getting people up to speed. Again, you know, we had this term in the military and in the infantry, operator level maintenance, right? We've all heard that, operator level maintenance. Take your, your AR-15, your M4. There's a certain degree of maintenance or repair work that the individual shoulder is expected to know and be able to accomplish on that weapon up to a certain point, And then it needs to go to the armor, you know, for expert repair. Um, operator level maintenance, anybody can do. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have a high IQ. You don't have to have anything special. You just need the training. And so that's kind of where my focus has been with Ground Rod is provide operator level maintenance, if you will, with the internet, with the web, with the phones, with the computers, with the tablets, with the phones, all this stuff, so that you don't get bit. You know, and uh, it's, I think it's pretty easy. It's, uh, it's designed for the guy off the street. It's not. You know, it's kind of an intimidating subject, but I recognize that, and I've tried to I've tried to make it very very streamlined, um, very easy to understand. So, I think uh, we're doing. Let's see, night operations and uh, yeah, gunfight, gunfight concepts again, which we did last time we we're out there. Uh, the the and and I'm gonna say that those two courses. Because now, you know, it, it, a lot of folks in our community know Ground Rod 1 and 2, especially. They, they know what it's about. You know, the, the word of mouth is definitely out there. Um, gunfight Concepts, I'm telling y'all, that's for, for everybody out there. If, if you want a very challenging course where you're going to learn a lot, uh, that is that is definitely one. Um, and then the night vision course, those two, your, your night ops course, those two I've had tons of questions about and uh, directed them all over to you like, hey, you know, got to get with the man. All right. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be world class. This is going to be the best training opportunity you're, you're going to get in this field. I'm telling you. Yeah. And, you know, it, there, there's a lot of good, good trainers out there these days. It's it, it's kind of a byproduct of, you know, 20 plus years of global war on terror. You got a lot of highly experienced guys out there. Um, and some of them are teaching now. And, uh, you know, some of them are good teachers. Some of them aren't. Um, but but there's a lot of choices. Um especially on on the kinetic side you know uh, your shooting skills uh tactics um what what i try to do differently with gunfight concepts is as the name implies to really focus in on the this is what it's like to be in a fight 
So not not just the marksmanship aspect of it, which is important, but the actual fighting with this piece of equipment. Um, and there are nuances that go along with that. Um, you know, and I, I just try to bring that experience to the class. Um, should have my uh, Delta colleague out there helping again. Brings a lot of experience himself, obviously. Um, so it's, they're good courses. They're fun. They're challenging. You know, guys worry about, you know, it being too big of a spoon to fit in their mouth. And it it's not. It's, you know, if if you have basic marksmanship skills, if you have basic safe gun handling skills, you know, if you can draw and present to the target without endangering yourself, you're probably good at taking that class, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, in the night ops, guys, you got to be able to work at night. And I know you teach night stuff as well. And it, it's, it's, it's crucial. I mean, all with very few exceptions, all the hunting we did overseas in uniform was at night. And yep. there's a reason for it, you know? Um, so whether you're looking at it from a defensive point of view, just protecting yourself or your home or, you know, hunting bad guys, you gotta be comfortable working at night, whether you're working with, you know, naked eye and white lights or nods night vision equipment thermals what what have you uh which you know you certainly should be trying to acquire at this point because they're just going to get harder and harder to acquire as time goes on the raw materials are getting harder to source by the companies that build these things the prices are going up the dollars continuing to weaken and so all this equals you know a a scarcity as far as night vision equipment goes. And, you know, we were talking offline about that with you just trying to secure some of that stuff. And yeah, you know, you're, you're looking at a backlog at what months now, two, at yeah. least two months. And, and, you know, and folks, this is, I, you know, I'm not trying to, to put that out there to scare anybody like we're, you know, we're, we're talking about that. You know, I, I brush store is a night vision dealer. Uh, I'm a thermal dealer too. And we deal with, with high end equipment and uh, you know, all gen three stuff, green tubes, white phosphor tubes, and, and our equipment's made by Elbit. I can't keep anything in stock. Uh, I've got, I think two green PVS 14s right now in stock but everything else and you know as soon as as soon as i move something out you know i'm ordering a new new stockpile i'm getting the the uh lead times and and they're getting longer right i'm just i'm telling you it, it, it i'm i you know i'm not telling you this because i'm in sales i wish that i would have more i wish that i had more um because what i got when I, I got my equipment in and I placed those initial orders, I thought that I was going to be sitting on for a few months and that wasn't the case. And, um, it's, it's not just nods, it's IR lasers. You know, that, that's another thing that's in extremely high demand and it doesn't seem like, uh, the companies that, that are producing them can keep up with the demand on them. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean with, you know, us night vision, for example, the designate IRs, 
which, um, yeah, the designate IR that does not have the IR illuminator, that one at 895, that is, that is probably the hottest item in firearms right now. Um, I do have some coming. I've had 30 of these things on order now for about four months and that's just the backlog. And, um, it's, you know, and, and it's like, man, I, I, you know, I've got some on the way right now, partial fulfillment of that order. Uh, so, you know, they should be there. Um, and, and I know that they're going to go quick. I wish that I could get all of what I ordered in, but that's just, and it's, it's also, it's, it's not that these companies don't want to fulfill the demand because they're getting held up. I mean, they, they want to be making money too. Everybody's getting held up by the fact that, that the production is, is, is slowing down at various choke points in the system. And so it's, um, it is kind of frustrating, but I, you know, I'm just saying it, uh, to your point, night vision is, you know, if, if you want to set an odds, um, you know, you, you, you got to get them where you can. And, uh, you know, I'm not so sure that, you know, there's, especially going into tax season, people are going to be buying them, you know? So if, if you've been kind of on the fence about, man, maybe I should get this, maybe I shouldn't, you know, and, and this this goes back to the whole thing with Iran, too, is is if that kicks off, hey, you know, it, it, it's because nods have a shelf life. And the government is is constantly renewing their equipment after a certain amount of time. Now, I don't know for sure exactly what that shelf life threshold for the government is, but they're going to be buying new equipment. Um and that's just going to lead to to yet another supply line uh, chokehold there. Uh, so get what you can while you can, and uh, you know don't forget thermal in that mix too. Two very different tools, by the way. You know people people ask me like, oh, should I buy one or the other? And it's like, well, do you need a pipe wrench or do you need a hammer? <laughs> they're two they're two different tools. I mean, you, you know, if you you, you want both. Um, you know, but but ideally, if, if you had to buy one or the other, uh, I'm not necessarily sure what that answer should be um, based on on the individual's needs. Yeah, I mean, the logistics situation is not going to improve. We can we can pretty much be sure of that. Um, so. We're always living in the good old days going forward. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as far as like nods or thermals, and I get asked that a lot. I'm sure you do. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, it's often it's just going to be what you can afford and what's available, you know. So it's a decision that is going to kind of be made for you. Um, again, because of the whole supply and demand situation. Um, but honestly, you know all things being equal, I'm going to spend most of my time under nods. They're on my face. So when I turn my head and I look around, I'm seeing through my nods and I have, you know, enhanced view of what's going on around me. Um, Now, without getting into very, very expensive thermals um, that are slaved together with nods, uh, which, you know, most of us can't afford at this point, <clears throat> um, 
I prefer to run a small handheld thermal just hanging around my neck. And I will periodically, depending on if I'm scanning for a threat in a given area, flip up one of my nods and pop that thermal up and do the sweep. Um, and I've demonstrated this in night courses where, you know, we'll have an adversary ghillie up and go out in the tree line and you don't see him with your nods. Um, but you can see him with your thermals. You know, unless he's taking extra steps to mitigate that. So, you know, there, there, there's there's pros and cons of both sides. I will I will say that the technology um, on the thermals has really improved radically over the last couple of years. I mean, yeah, it has the clarity we're getting with some of these units um, that are actually pretty affordable. Um, you're able to get good PID, which is something that it used to be an issue where you could identify a potential threat through thermal, but you could not necessarily get a positive ID on, you know, what kind of weapon does that guy have? Is he a friendly? Is he a bad guy? What's, you know, what's going on there? You could just identify, hey, there's something there. Um, so they've, they've gotten much better to where you can pretty solidly get PID quite often. Um, so that's, that's a big plus on the thermal side. Yeah. I mean, these, I'm sitting here with a, uh, AGM. This is, uh, the, the one that I've got in my hands, the 35 millimeter objective lens and 384 resolution. Um, and it's a, a weapons mounted unit. So it goes up to eight power zoom, mm. man. I thought that, that I was doing good when I got my first FLIR uh weapon site compared to the you know the past 13 yeah <laughs> i mean you remember the past 13 they took yeah, like yeah. 12 double a batteries and then it would only be on for like an hour yeah you know? and it but i mean it was i'm not saying it was useless like it, it was it was a decent optic for its time but uh when i got that flur and it was a 384 unit i was like dude this thing is incredible like this is light years better this this AGM that I have here, since Fleur has has uh, kind of exited the marketplace for a few reasons, um, you know, business reasons, I, I think more so than than anything nefarious. Is conversations of, you know I've had with people. Yeah. Um, a, this AGM blows it out of the water. Like a, I mean, the three eighty four, the six forty. The 640s, that's, that's some of the nicest technology I've ever looked through. I mean, yeah. bar none. Yeah, but this, this 384, for its price, I mean, man, it, you know, you, and, and it has a mill reticle in it, too. So, like, you know, you cut the reticle on, you can you can sit there and range find with it, put mm -hmm. it up to eight power zoom. Like, I mean, I and, and the nice thing is, is that this unit... And, you know, we were talking offline, you know, just talking about yours. Um, this is, it, it, it's the size of a Coke can, you know, it, it's got its weapons mount, but it can be a standalone optic on a weapon. So like, you know, it, it, talking about, you know, different weapons platforms and stuff, having a dedicated AR upper that you have, like, like, in your pack or something like let's say like you, you're infilling to a hide site or final firing position you know like whatever it is you're doing right 
you right. get there and, and you pull that other upper out that's dedicated with with a thermal weapons sight on it. I mean, that's you know, like like that's that's just a, such a cool in, in my mind. That's such a cool level of capability you have there. I mean, the clip on unit's really good too. Usually in conjunction with a daytime optic, um, that can kind of run into its own little challenges here and there. But having a dedicated weapon sight. Putting that up on top and having a, having a separate upper, just got that on there. You just slap that on your weapon, like man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I mean I get excited because of the level of technology that's afforded to patriots out there. Like yeah, it, the technology is there, man. Like it like this this is this is all the stuff. Like my my litmus test. You know, you and I have had that conversation over the years. Like my litmus test is for whether something's a, a good piece of kit or not is if I wish that I had had this overseas, you know, <laughs> and like, dude, I looked through this thing. I'm like, man, I could have done so much cool shit with this thing. Like, hey, I wish that I had had this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they Then like you come up with all those scenarios in your mind where you're like, yeah, I remember when, when I was doing this and I really wish I had had this for that. And then, like, you know, and you just little little fun thoughts, you know, as you're you're laying there trying to go to sleep at night. You're like, yeah. yeah, man. <laughs> ah. You know, I I haven't got my hands on one of your uh, U.S. night vision laser units yet, but I I did find a re- someone reviewed one, did some side by side analysis with, and primarily I'm looking at the illuminator because. Just from my point of view, people tend to focus on the laser aspect and, you know, if they can get a mill-powered, full-powered laser or not. Guys, the civilian-powered laser is just fine because the capability of the laser is way beyond the capability of the shooter and the rifle normally under low-light conditions. So, you know, unless, unless you're trying to identify a target to an aircraft or something like that, uh, that is more of a big mill type function, you know, don't, don't fixate on the power of the laser. Um, however, the quality of the illuminator and its candela capability is of more paramount importance. Um, you know, in the night ops course, we go back a couple hundred yards and you basically do a dynamic shoot. So you're running and huffing, and having to engage targets accurately. And what a lot of guys see, especially dependent on the, you know, the climate conditions is they can't see the damn target. You know, they go back 200 yards, they can't see the target. And having a quality illuminator and most of the illuminators, they don't cast far enough. You know, they don't have good candela and, uh, you know, it, it makes units like, I hate saying it, but the mall really shine because it has such yeah. a, an effective illuminator. You know, I, I'm not a fan of the mall because of the, I think their price point's ridiculous. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. but going back to my original yeah. point, looking at the illuminator on that U.S. night vision unit you have, it's pretty impressive. It, it casts, it looks like it casts as well as the mall. Or damn close to it. Yeah. So that for me, that's that's a winner. 
when I'm shopping for a piece of kit like that, I'm looking at what's actually going to be effective to me out on a battlefield, you know, and that's a big aspect is how effective is that illuminator? Um, Because most of them are not very effective outside of, you know, CQB distances. Yeah. So No, I mean, that's a fact. Like, Peg 15s, generally, not that great. Yeah, Um, not great. D-balls aren't that great unless it's a D2, but that thing is just a chungus. It's freaking huge. (laughs) It's, it's, yeah, I I still have one. I still have one sitting over here. You got a D2? Yeah. Yeah, it's sitting. It's on a. Uh, it's a Sons of Liberty Gunworks. Um, because I've got two great, of those. It's a great illuminator, but like I said, it's yeah. just heavy and it's huge. Yeah, it, it's. Um, I had a, a student who had one on an AK, and he's like, "Man, because I mean, the AK is already. It, it doesn't take a lot to make an AK really ridiculously heavy." Because it's already yeah. kind of a heavy weapon, like you know, it, it's it's you, you start throwing on an IR laser and an optic, and you're looking at nine pounds, nine and a half pounds loaded, um, mm-hmm. quickly, quickly. And and he had a D two, and he's like, man, like th- this this is getting unwieldy, because he also had a um, um, not Tromix. I'm trying to remember the name of the company. Anyway, he he had uh, he had a really high end rail on it too, but the thing was a chunk. Like it, it's you know, it's solid steel. You know, so he's got he's got all the steel out there. Then he's got this you know gargantuan Steiner D two. You know, and it, it's it's like man, his his rifle was so front heavy. Yeah, I mean, and it was pushing ten pounds, and and you know. He, by the end of night movements that he that, that we were doing as a class, he's like, dude, this is this thing is unwieldy. That's yeah, just like take that off. You know, we'll we'll address the weight issue, but that you know that needs to come off. And that was before the US night vision laser came out. And that was what really drew me to them. And that was why I reached out and was like, hey, you know, what does it take to be a dealer for your company? Because um you know, I think that this is the ideal laser for the AK because before that, I was looking at a, a at buying a mall to go on on you know my AK that I I use as a, a primary weapon, right? And uh, I was like, you know, thirty seven hundred dollars for that thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, like uh, there's got to be a better way to do this. And uh, then I found US Night Vision. I was like, man, I'll, I'll roll the dice on that. Yeah, you know, I'll see what this is. and I got one in. I was like, holy crap, this thing is this is as solid as it gets. And um then then lo and behold, like, you know, they wanted to do business and and you know, here we are. I've been I'm super impressed with them. Like like the units themselves, the the very early one, uh the first generation one that was out there, and I get this question so often. Um the first generation one had a plastic uh, locking mechanism for the rail. So it like the actual uh, rail piece was right. plastic. And that that's, you can get away with that on an AR, but 
kind of, but not really. You know, that definitely needs to be metal. And they they fixed that. And so all the ones that they've had, and that was like a year ago. Um, that was their very first generation one. Since then, you know, it's it's things heavy duty. Um, I can't wait for you to get trigger time with it because I think that, that you are really, really gonna like it. Um, yeah, it, it, it really solid. checks it checks the right box boxes. I mean it, it's it's low profile, it's got a built-in easily indexed switch on the unit so you don't have to run a tape switch if you don't want to deal with that um it looks like the the selector is easy to use with like one thumb um and you can't shut it off easily either which is nice because i mean when you're you're busting brush or you know you're humping for a while your weapon's kind of dangling a little bit because you're adjusting your ruck and like all the other stuff that you're doing during the movement you're not going to accidentally knock that thing off. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's still tough to do with a pec 15, but it, it can happen. Um, I saw somebody do that where they, they thought the laser was switched on and it wasn't. And, um, you know, it is what it is. You know, like they go to aim and they're like, ah, shit. Like, <laughs> where's your laser, boss? You know, it's like, uh oh. Now that's that's how I know we were talking about uh, tape switches, pressure switches. That's how I know somebody messed up. Uh, yeah. that, that that's why I don't run those personally because I know a cat that his his wire was broke and he didn't know it, and it was like the the actual contact was broken. Yeah, and uh, got hung up in some stuff, man. It's, it's what happens. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to apply the normal risk reward scale to it. It's, you know, what is it giving you versus what problems is it possibly creating? You know, I'm at the point in my life where I'm trying to get every bit of extraneous gear off my gun that I can. And just, you know, I've kind of come full circle to running it as slick as possible. And there's certain stuff you you definitely want to have on there. You want to have a light. Uh, you want to have a good optic and, you know, I know people will scream and, and put an X through my name for saying this, but one of the least important items on an AR platform these days are backup iron sights. Yep. hundred percent. Sorry guys. I'm just speaking from my experience and the, (laughs) the robustness of the optical systems that are out there now and what I've seen them go through on the battlefield and still function. Now, that being said, I will put on some backup iron sights. I will zero them. I will remove them and I will throw them in my kit. And yes, you can bolt them back on the rail and they will hold a decent zero. Um, but as far as decent irons. Yeah. As long as you're, That's you're the question with quality product. <laughs> yeah you know, plastic stuff, but, uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, more things change, the more they stay the same. Well, and fortunately, this is one of those arguments I'm seeing less and less. I, I think more, more people, and it speaks to, to your point about, you know, byproduct of, of so many GWAT vets with trigger time. That, that are in the gene pool now. Um, I think it, it really speaks to that because it, there's, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of people who have come to that realization that like, all right, man, if, if whatever, you know, variable X that has necessitated this gunfight has, whatever has happened has knocked my optic out of the fight. I'm probably knocked out of that fight too. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, it, you know, if you, if you, you, your optic gets shot, you know, or, or it gets blown up and it's, it's destroyed. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people know the story, uh, behind this ACOG that I have literally sitting right up here, um, up on top of the gun safe that survived an IED. The M4 did not with me. <laughs> You know, the M4 did not survive that IED, okay? That optic did. Uh, it was ACOG, TAO1 ACOG, right? Mm-hmm. Um, shit, I didn't think I survived it there for a little while. Some mornings I'm not so sure. But, uh, you know, it, it point is, though, is that that weapon was out of the fight. The optic wasn't. Optic's great. It's, it's still fine. I just don't really run it anymore. It's kind of a memento. Now, but... Um, you know, ACOG, perfectly serviceable optic, you know, great. It's a little old now by, by current standards. But here's the thing about irons, man. I had a guy in the last fight in carbine course who, you know, running irons only, right? And, you know, we're, we're not worried about split times or like any of that kind of stuff. But he couldn't zero his rifle. Now, this is an older, uh, the rifle he was using, I think, was either a Bushmaster or Olympic Arms. It was like, it was an older rifle. Yeah. And uh, it's got irons. But, you know, the, the people that are out there, the, 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 you know, the handful of people that are still in the bloodstream, very vocal, you know, oh, irons, once you zero them, you, you know, iron, there's nothing more reliable than irons. Well, you know, this guy's rifle, had developed a slight cant over the years of the front side post. Mm. Just enough to where, you know, zero in the windage of that thing wasn't happening. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, you know, it is what it is. It, 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 25 meters, he's fine. Bag him up to 100 meters. Well, got to hold it off the paper to the right. You know, and it, it's like, I mean, to me, that's a liability that should be to anybody out there. Um, you know, he came back to class. He put an optic up there. Then he was good to go. No issues. Right. Brought that same rifle back. Um, no issues whatsoever. And and he's a great shooter. His mechanics were good. The weapon was reliable. There, there was, you know, there was no other issue with it. But over the years, and that was his truck gun. You know, so he's always throwing that behind the seat or dropping it, you know, in the floorboard or the passenger seat or like whatever. That's his quote unquote truck gun. How many guys out there got their truck gun? You know, like everybody I know has got a truck gun, myself included. And that's, you know, little thing. And and so having that rifle since the 90s or however long he had it, dropping it in the truck every day, it developed this little slight cant on that front sight post. And, you know, it was, it was like, holy shit, I can't hit paper all of a sudden. Like, no, no, you can't. And, you know, there you go. Well, I, you know, the way, the way I describe it and it, 
it just came up in uh, my hard target class because we do a, a combatives lab. And, you know, it's a one day class. It's like, you know, how, how much hand to hand am I really going to effectively teach you in a day? Well, I picked certain things that are, you know, very easy learning curve, bold movements, easy to remember. They don't require a lot of nuance. Um, and, you know, every class I'll have somebody that's got a belt in Kempo or Jiu-Jitsu or they're really good at whatever their chosen, you know, martial skill is. And, and that's fine. But they want to debate that this tactic that they know is better. And I'm like, I, no argument. You, who's had many, many multiple thousands of reps practicing that, yes, you can absolutely execute that better. And it's superior. I'm taking, you know, a hundred pound girl here and giving her a one day class before she travels over to Europe, you know, to give her a chance, a fighting chance to get out of a stranglehold. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's apples and oranges. And you could apply that to the guns as well. You know, the guy that runs irons and he runs them religiously, he shoots his thousand rounds a month or plus. Yeah, he, he, will probably outshoot guys on red dots because he's getting the reps in. So he's a high, he's, you know, in that, in that operator curve that we're looking at, he's at a higher level on that curve by virtue of his practice. But, you know, you, you have to be realistic about where you're at in that curve. You know, how many reps do you get in your hand to hand skills per month? How many times do you got to the range and actually, fire real rounds not dry fire real rounds per month you know and you know like with shooting it's it's about eight hundred thousand rounds per month is the threshold between that kind of unconsciously competent and the i gotta think about each step to hit my target so. right Nah, I mean, 100%, man, 100%. And the, I, I would say what goes along with that, too, is with that same mindset, whether it's combatives or weapons handling, you got to be open to new techniques that might work better, you know? It, mm -hmm. I mean, there was a time, I remember the first time I saw a red dot on a handgun. You know, Kelly McCann was doing it back in the day. Yeah, and I remember the first time I saw that, and I was like, "Man, what kind of gay shit is this?" <laughs> well, it just didn't. I mean, I I had seen race guns, you know, like like actual race guns with like a Seymour sight on them, right. or uh, you know, like like in uh, Ronin with uh, Stellan Skarsgård had the the mm -hmm. Glock seventeen with the the EOTech on it, like you know, but th that stuff just didn't seem practical though. Like it just didn't. And then uh, when Kelly McCann was doing it, um, you know, running an ACOG with, with one of the doctor optics, you know, piggybacked on the back and, and we broke those things like nonstop. And that really soured me on you know, piggybacking red dots and really many red dots in general. I just like wrote them off as, as they're all junk. Just, you know, don't even bother with it. You know, and here we are you know, a decade, well, 15 years removed from that time. And, you know, now I'm running a Glock 
with, you know, I've got a Glock 19 with, with a, uh, uh, Trigicon on it. And, and that's kind of become the standard, you know, and, and it, it was like, finally, when I saw guys making solid hits at a hundred, you know, and it was like, man, I mean, it is kind of hard to argue with, with success. It's hard to argue with that capability. It's it's difficult to do that, make those kinds of shots with irons. Um, but you put a dot on there, and and you know, and two like you know, age starting to catch up with me, especially yeah. with, with my eyesight. You know, arthritis and eyesight, man. And I'm like, this stuff's a little more blurry than it used to be. You know, like yeah, having that dot there is is convenient. I was I was just gonna say that I I really never saw the draw to the red dots on the pistols until I started to need reading glasses, and I just I could not get that crisp front sight focus that I wanted, and my shot groups were suffering because of it, and you know it it was a little bit of a struggle. You know you got to get in a few thousand reps. Um, but, you know, it's like anything else. You get the practice in, you get used to it, and you know, it, it's only enhanced my shooting capability. So, And the exactly. technology on the, on the units themselves has progressed enough that they're durable. The batteries last forever. Many of them are solar-powered. Uh, you know, they're, they're well-proven at this point. It's, you know, it's not like the early days of, you know, what, what you referenced, what we were seeing on the race guns. Um, these are, these are low profile. They're durable. I've never had issues with any of mine, um, but it enhances my capability. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's all we're trying to do. It's all we're trying to do. We're yeah. trying to, we're trying to squeeze every drop of advantage out of these tools that we can, you know, Yeah, I, I mean, you know, whatever makes you more lethal, you know, at, at the end of the day, it, it, it's it, and whatever that is. I mean, you're always going to be faster with a dot a dot sight than you are with irons. I mean, it, it's 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 scientific, right? You've got yeah. one point of aim versus two, essentially, with iron that you have to line up. And I'm, you know, I, I'm quick with iron sights, especially on a handgun. Um, but red dots faster. It, there's, there's just no question. I mean, it, it, it is, uh, so it, it's, you know, but, but it's that way with a, a rifle too. And I think talking about Kelly McCann, there was a interview that he did, man, I don't remember what it was, but Kelly, Kelly, I think Kelly's a gold mine for knowledge. I think he, he, him, Clint Smith, Definitely, uh, those two. Th those are those are two guys I always listen to. Every, every soak up everything that they have to say. Every interview they, that they'll do. Um, Kelly, I don't think is doing a whole lot anymore. And Clint, kind of, uh, I think he's he's pretty much retired at this point too. Yeah. But um, Kelly McCann was talking about how um, it just like because the, the question was was where did he get the idea to run a mini red dot on a handgun on specifically on a, on a Glock 19. Cause he was talking about the, the original one that he put together and he was like, well, I mean, and it was a doctor site that was on it. He said that 
you know, we, we were running uh, aim points on M4s at the time because it makes you faster in CQB. And, and you know, we knew that from, uh, you know, Armisen sites, like back in the, the post-Vietnam era and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of all, like ha- the progression of, of that technology. He's like, I mean, it just made too much sense to, to try it out on a handgun and see what it would look like. The race gun guys were doing it uh, in open class. So, you know. We had this new technology. Let's see what it'll do. And and you know, I mean, it was kind of, it's just kind of interesting to me, like how how we. It's just like the evolution of knives, how different blade styles evolve the way they do, uh, right. martial arts, how they evolve the way they do. It's it's just very fascinating to me, like how we, um, we create these tools and then like we we. It always boils down to we take something that was originally meant for another purpose. And repurpose it and it's like oh shit that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. yeah you know and that and that stuff it either stands the test of time or it doesn't you know and and that stuff quickly goes and into the graveyard of history if it's not viable you know especially when you're yeah. talking stuff that ends up on a battlefield because it it gets proven very quickly or it doesn't you know yeah man it's uh, we could sit and talk all day about it. it. It's it's just one of those things that that uh, I know I go I I'll go deep down the rabbit hole. But brother, where can people find you? Where can they enroll in class? Um, they can find me at my website, combatstudiesgroup.blogspot.com. Um, um, I'm also on Gab under the same name. Um, my next class is February 17th up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, uh, will be hard target traveler, um, plenty of seats there. And then of course I'll be late March out at your place. Can't wait. Can't so, wait. It's yeah. Gonna be a blast. Be, be a good time. You can find those core states up on brushbeater.org slash training calendar. And I've got an embedded link over there that's going to take you to Kay's site. Um, that way you can get all the, the course enrollment information over there. You know, definitely want to see you in class. Um, the, the ground rod courses, it, again, you know, I, I'm going to revisit that. This is... I. So kind of kind of to, to take you all the audience through somebody who was in that course last time to give you an idea that, you know, if, if this cat can do it, anybody can. Um, the guy who, who he, I've got a mountain of respect for, love him as a brother. He, he is incredible. Um, he's a Vietnam vet. He's pilot. He's career military officer. And a, just an incredible human being, very, very intelligent, sh- you know, razor sharp guy. And, um, you know, but computers are not his thing. He knew he needed to be in class, right? Knew he needed to be in there, knew why he was there. But computers are really not his thing. And I mean, to the degree that he, he wants to put a bullet in it, he would rather put a bullet in a computer than have to use it. And if this guy can grasp those concepts, because this is so far outside of his comfort zone, 
if he can can do that and and gain so much knowledge out of that and come to me at the end of the day every day when he's about to put down some nice tequila and say, man, I learned a lot in here. This is awesome. If it passes his test, it can do a lot for y'all too. I'm just telling you. Um, so I, I think it, it, for any skill level out there, that's the one for you. And, of course, night operations, um, I frequently hear from the community that there's not enough night vision training, night vision specific training out there. Hey, here's another opportunity, folks. Here's another opportunity, and, and you definitely want it because um, I'm telling you, you don't want to be figuring this stuff out, you know, when the balloon goes up, if it, you know, if, if the chips are down and you're already stress levels maxed out, it would be real nice to know how this stuff works and in a, a controlled environment before you get out there doing it live. Yeah. Anyway, with that said, brother, God bless. Thank you so much for being on with us. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. And folks, you can check out brushbeater.store. I've got a lot of equipment over there. Stuff definitely goes fast. If something says it is currently out of stock, you can sign up for those email notifications and it'll let you know when it is coming back in. Of course, night vision, a lot of the equipment that is listed up there is 100% on order and we're getting it in when we can. Um, but usually as soon as I get something in, it doesn't really stick around very long. Um, you know, and, and events in the world are definitely not spinning in, in, in a direction that's giving everybody a warm and fuzzy. All right. So the necessity is there. The need is there. And uh, with that said, I look forward to seeing y'all in training. God bless. And I'll talk to you again very, very soon. Zinzi Scout out.